Well, in a book that's entitled How We Die, uh, physician uh, Sherwood Newland wrote about his 40 years of experience as a physician. And in this book, which, by the way, was a New York Times bestseller, if you can imagine that, people rushing out to buy a book uh, entitled How We Die. In the book, he kind of uh, documents his 40 years as a physician, particularly how many of his patients died over the 40 years of his practice. And one of the conclusions he came to is he says in the book that one of the things he clearly learned is that we as human beings very seldom go gently into that good night that we call death. At least from his patients and the experiences that he observed, he found people facing death with incredible fear. And hysteria. In fact, uh, one of the examples he cites in the book is a a 49 year old attorney by the name of uh, Robert DeMatteis. And this guy, he said, was a bear of an attorney. He was bold. He was courageous. In fact, he was a ferocious, fearless kind of attorney that dominated most of the people that that had to deal with him. In fact, he struck fear in the hearts of the people that he opposed as an attorney. But he said it was very interesting that uh, this this guy, he said, was so menacing that even the quality of his low pitched, gravelly voice made even his tenderness sound like a growl. Well, when this fearless uh, attorney was diagnosed with terminal colon cancer, he became a completely different person. In fact, uh, Sherwood Newland says that he has rarely seen anyone face a diagnosis with more fear and more hysteria than this bold, fearless attorney. He, he was absolutely overcome with fear by his uh, his diagnosis. In fact, Dr. Newland says, I don't think I've ever taken a more frightened person to the operating room. He held my hands so tightly he squeezed the blood. Out of my fingers. I mean, here was this fearless bear of a man in life who dominated everyone he dealt with, who was courageous and all of these things. And yet when he was given his diagnosis, he was absolutely hysterical with fear at the potential of his own death. Now, I think we need to ask ourselves as Christians, how do we think we will face that kind of news when it comes to us. Some of us obviously won't have any kind of advanced warning. Some of us may have some advanced warning. And how will we respond when we receive that kind of news? It was very interesting in direct contrast to how this attorney responded. The Apostle Paul, when he learned that he was going to die very soon, By having his head removed from his body by an executioner's axe, he didn't go into hysterics. He wasn't incredibly fearful. And yet he sat down in his prison as he awaited his own death. And he wrote what we call the epistle of joy. Philippians. And Paul says, as he faces his own death, that for me to live is Christ. But to die is gain. 
Paul was actually saying that, sure, for me to live is Christ, but it is better, far better for me to die and be with Christ. And I believe he truly believed that. And so Paul was able to face his death, an untimely, unjust, unfair death, with courage and boldness and hope and even a measure of joy. Because he knew that better things were waiting him after life. Now, you know, what is it? What makes the difference really? For us as people between facing death with fear and hysteria and facing death with courage and hope and even a measure of joy. I don't think it comes naturally to us as human beings to face death with courage and hope and joy. I don't think it's natural. I think that's very unnatural, even for us as Christians. And yet I think there are some secrets that we can learn. I think there are some truths that we can learn that will enable us to experience that with much more hope, much more courage and face death with much more joy than this attorney who, for some reason, wasn't able to face death in that way. Now, all of us, I think sometimes I, I hear lots of comments. Why are we? Why is this guy spending so much time talking about death? This is so morbid. Who wants to hear about death? Was well, I read in Ecclesiastes, Solomon said it is better to think about our death than it is the day of our birth, that we should spend time contemplating the fact that we're not immortal. We're not going to live forever because that will change the way we live our lives today. If we think that we're immortal and that we're never going to die, we tend to make different decisions and live our lives in different ways. But when we come to grips with that reality it can have a transforming effect on our lives. You know, it was just uh, a week after I started this series on death. Actually, it was the, the second week that the I-35 West Bridge collapsed just like that. I had had lunch with Pastor Randy at the Olive Garden here on 394 and crossed that bridge just about three and a half hours before it collapsed. And you think to yourself how, how just absolutely quickly Life can end. Who would have ever planned? Many of those people have driven across that bridge thousands and thousands of times. You would never, ever think that that's how your life might end was a bridge collapse. And yet we never know, do we? There are no guarantees in this life. And so we've got to be prepared. And it's very important that we talk about these issues. Well, this morning, as we continue this series... I want us to consider what's required before we can really face uh, that with courage and with hope and actually with a measure of joy, as Paul did, rather than with hysteria and fear. And so I want us to turn this morning to Second Corinthians, chapter four, Second Corinthians, chapter four. We're actually going to look at beginning in verses 16 through chapter five, verse eight. Second Corinthians, chapter four. Through chapter five, verse eight. Because I think here we can see into the heart and the mind of the Apostle Paul, and he shares with us a little bit about why he was able to face death the way he ultimately did, why he could face it with uh, courage and hope and even joy. And so I want you to follow along as I read what Paul writes here in chapter four, beginning in verse 16. Follow along with what Paul says here. 
Paul says that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us the Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. Now, I think as Paul writes this, he shares a little bit about what, what gave him the courage, what gave him the joy and the hope to face death the way he did. And I think he basically shares with us kind of three secrets here to facing death with courage and hope and joy. But I'm telling you, I don't think it happens just like in an incident. I think it's a discipline that we learn and we practice throughout life. That becomes second nature to us as the way we live here on earth. And so I want us to see from these verses three secrets that I think will enable us to really do the same as the Apostle Paul. To kind of have that perspective of death that he had rather than the kind of perspective that oftentimes uh, people that don't have similar hope. Uh, have when it comes to death. And the very first secret I think we can see in these verses is that we need to set our sights on spiritual reality. We want we got to learn to set our sights on spiritual reality rather than just the temporal, physical realities that we experience here on earth. Now, look at verse 16 again, what he says. Paul says that is why we never give up. Some other translations say that is why we never lose hope. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. You see, what Paul is saying here is that one of the secrets to not losing heart in the face of death and in physical suffering and the knowledge that our physical body, even right now, is in the process of decaying and aging, as we talked about in the last sermon, we don't have to lose heart. We don't have to give up or give in, in a sense. We can have hope as long as we focus on the spiritual realities as opposed to the physical realities. 
If all we do is focus on our body and how it's falling apart and how it's decaying and the wrinkles and the hair we find in our comb and all those other things, man, that gets pretty depressing. And if that's your focus, you are not going to be hopeful. You are not going to be joyful. You're going to be pretty stinking depressed because that gets old real fast, doesn't it? You know, that's not encouraging. Our physical body is decaying before our eyes. But Paul says at the same time, our spirit is being renewed. You need to almost see it like this inverse principle that the the older our physical body gets, the more it decays and goes down, down, down. Our spirit is getting closer and closer to finally taking on the spiritual reality that we were created for and that we're now destined for as Christians. With every wrinkle, with every hair follicle that goes, our spirit is getting closer and closer to its ultimate destination. Now, you might say, well, you know, that's easy for Paul to say. He doesn't know what my experience is. You know, he doesn't have to live with my ailments or he doesn't have to. He didn't suffer the way I suffer. Well, before you say that, I want you to just turn a couple pages to Second Corinthians chapter 11. And I want you to read or follow along with me as we read kind of Paul's present physical reality and all that he could have focused on if he wanted to listen to what Paul's experience was like in real life chapter 11 verse 23 it says are there are they servants of Christ I know I sound like a madman but I have served him far more I have worked harder been put in prison more often been whipped times without number and faced death again and again Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities, in the deserts and on the seas. And I faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights, I've been hungry and thirsty and often have gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Now, you think you've got it bad. You think you're suffering and have a tough life. I mean, Paul knew what suffering and difficulty was all about. Beaten to near death numerous times. He had a rough experience. Now, you can imagine Paul could have very easily focused on all of those things that were happening to him. He could have commiserated. He could have been depressed. He could have been just miserable because woe is me. Look at this life. I'm serving God and look what I have to endure, even as I'm faithfully doing what God has called me to do. All I have is suffering. And yet that's not the perspective that Paul took. Paul was not focused on physical realities. Paul was focused on the spiritual realities that he was getting closer and closer to his eternal destination. And even as he writes second Corinthians, the thing that precipitated him writing this second letter to the Corinthians was the fact that he was being falsely accused by the very church that he had founded and was now suffering for. Paul knew how difficult physical reality could be 
But he wasn't focused on it. And the reason that he could have such hope and say we never give up, we never lose heart, is found in verses 17 and 18. And look what he says there. He says the reason we don't have to give up or lose heart in spite of the fact that our body is decaying and headed downward is because our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. Now, let me ask you, where is your focus on any given day? What do you spend your time focusing on, thinking about? Physical realities or spiritual realities? Obviously, obviously, it's something that just does not come natural to us as human beings to focus on the spiritual things and realities that we can't see. That's not normal. But if we just focus on the spiritual realities, all of the things that are happening in this world, all of the wars, all of the disease, all of the famine, AIDS, all of these things, we can become so depressed and so discouraged. And then to heap on top of all of that, maybe our own physical sufferings and disease that we're suffering with and crippling arthritis and, and our loss of hearing and all of those other things that come with the decay of our body. It can become almost hopeless where we say, what's the point of all of this? We see. We have got to be people who learn to focus on the spiritual realities because the scripture tells us that the things that we can see and feel right now are not going to last. They're all going to burn. They're not real in the ultimate sense. But it's the spiritual realities that we can't see right now that we can't feel and we can't touch. Those are the things that are going to last forever. And one day we're going to pass through this dimension in a sense and just kind of step into this unreal, this spiritual realities. And then it will all be there and we'll see what now we can only believe by faith and take by faith. But see, we've got to be people who don't focus on the suffering that we experience now. We need to realize the suffering, the pain, all of it, no matter how bad it is in this physical life. Paul says it's temporary. The Greek there literally says it's a vapor. It's like your breath in the winter. Think about that. All of a lifetime of suffering and pain and agony is like a breath in the winter. You see it and it's just gone. It's a vapor. But with every minute we suffer, with every ache and with every pain and with every unfair accusation or whatever it is, Paul says it is all storing up for us a glory and a joy and an eternal reward that is eternal. And it will so far outweigh what we experience here that I believe the first nanosecond we're in eternity with Christ, we will have totally forgotten every single suffering, pain, ache, whatever it is. Because the glory that it's creating for us so outweighs the suffering that when we finally enter into that spiritual reality in all of its fullness, it'll be like, what was I whining about? Man, look at what we have now. You know, I, 
I have four kids. And in spite of having four children, it just amazes me that anybody has children. Because after having four kids, I, I really think to myself, now, why does any woman want to do this? You know, with each of our four kids, I, I kind of witnessed Sue transform before my eyes, you know, into this aching, growing, waddling person who was constantly feeling tired and swollen and all of this. And then on top of that, with Jill, our first child, she experienced 24 hours of labor. I mean, it was Oh, it was excruciating. I could hardly handle it myself, you know. It's amazing. And I I always say we, you know, have a baby, but I I understand that you have the babies and we just kind of, you know, participate, kind of. Um, But, you know, the amazing thing is after all that nine months of agony and all of that suffering, after 24 hours of this excruciating pain, it's not but six months or a year later that Sue says, Let's have another baby. It's like, what? Are you crazy? Do you remember what you went through? It's like going to the dentist and begging for a root canal. I don't get it. You know? But the amazing thing about childbirth is in spite of all of the pain and all of the suffering, the moment that child is born and is laid on the mother's chest and in her arms, all of the pain, all the suffering just kind of dissipates. As she stares into that child's face and all of a sudden it just didn't matter. And the further you get away from that, it's like, let's have another baby. You know, I really believe that's how it's going to be for us as Christians. That sure, we're kind of in that birth process right now, being experiencing kind of that eternal long term salvation birth. And right now it's painful and it's difficult. But when we finally enter into that spiritual reality and all of its fullness, all will be forgotten. But we now have got to take the, the time to focus on the spiritual realities rather than just the physical realities. Or else it will result in depression and discouragement and fear and anxiety rather than a sense of comfort and joy and courage and confidence. That this life is just the tip of the iceberg for us. It's just the very beginning. And all the suffering is storing up an incredible eternal glory for us. But that's just the first secret, I think, that Paul knew and that we've got to learn. Focus on spiritual reality, not physical reality. And the second one is to set your sights on the second coming. To set your sights on the second coming. Look at what Paul says again in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. He says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down... That is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this and as a guarantee, he's given us the Holy Spirit. You see, what Paul is saying here as he's awaiting death One of the things that gives him a sense of confidence and hope and and encouragement is focusing on and, and hoping for the second coming of Christ. 
Paul really believed that Christ could come at any moment. And he was hoping that Christ would come before he had to experience physical death. And we'll talk about this in a coming sermon. But but when we physically die right now, our body goes into the grave and our spirit immediately goes to be with God in his presence. But what Paul is talking about here is then there's that period of time from the time that we die and go to be with the Lord until the time of the second coming. We will be, as he says, spirits without bodies. We will be disembodied spirits in the presence of God. And we don't get our eternal glorified bodies until the second coming. When Christ comes and all of the dead in Christ are raised in their glorified bodies. And those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up in glory and changed in the twinkling of an eye. And then we'll be forever with the Lord in those glorified bodies. But you see, until that point in time, Paul didn't want to be in some translations. It says he didn't want to be found naked. He didn't want to have to endure that time without his glorified spiritual body just being a disembodied spirit. But he had this hope that the second coming might happen at any time. And then he would ultimately be clothed in his glorified body and go from this physical body into his glorified body and be with Christ forever. That was a hope that sustained him, that gave him courage and hope. You see, we have got to realize that the second coming of Christ is real. Now, I'm not talking about obsessing about the second coming and and trying to plot it out and figure out the the numbers of the beast and what the name is and who the Antichrist is and all these other kinds of things and chart it out on calendar and say this could be the day. I'm talking about having that hope and that expectancy That the coming of Jesus Christ back to planet Earth is eminent. It means it could happen at any moment. Christ could split the clouds and we could hear that that trumpet sound and the voice of the archangel and right at that point be glorified with Christ. It could happen at any time. And if we spend our time, in a sense, focusing on that and truly believing that, and I know with all of the writing that's been done and stuff, sometimes it almost sounds like science fiction anymore. It's been so fictionalized and so written about. But it is a biblical reality that Paul firmly believed in. And he's saying that one of the things that gave him hope was even as he was waiting to be executed, he was hoping that the second coming of Christ would come and that he'd be immediately clothed in his glorified body and wouldn't have to spend that time in that disembodied spirit state. Although he said, even that is better than life here. Even that, and to be in the presence of Christ, is better than waiting here on earth, separate from God and not in his presence. You know, I think all of us, Gain hope from waiting, in a sense. You know, all of us have something out there that we're waiting for, don't we? I mean, if we don't have anything that we're waiting for, that we're expecting, it's easy to begin to lose hope. I mean, whether it's a graduation that we're expecting and being liberated from college and all of our professors or high school, you know, whether it's a wedding out there or the birth of a child or retirement, we all have something kind of that we're hoping for, that we're waiting for. It gives us something in a sense to live for. And what Paul is saying here is one of the things that he was hoping for, that he was waiting for and constantly looking for was the second coming of Christ. 
And that, that incredible experience of immediately being clothed in his glorified body and taken up to be with God. Something that gave him hope and encouragement. You know, I read a story here recently about a gal that was a, a college gal and she, she was with another group of uh, students and they'd taken this expedition to Mount Kilimanjaro to climb to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. And Kilimanjaro is a very interesting mountain because at the top there's actually um, glaciers and it can be sub-zero at the very top, but at the bottom it's actually tropical jungle. And so you go through several different kind of climate changes as you climb this 19,000 foot peak. Well, on the way down from Kilimanjaro, she got separated from her climbing group in the dense uh, tropical jungle. And she was lost for more than a week by herself with no food and very little water. And she says that the thing that gave her hope was every day in that jungle, she would try to position herself in open areas where she could and she would look for a helicopter, a rescue copter. And she said, every single day that I was lost, I kept scanning the sky, looking for that helicopter that I knew was going to come and rescue me. And she kept looking and looking for that helicopter. It would always motivate her to try to find high ground or try to find a clearing so, so the helicopter could see her. She just believed that it would come and it kept her moving on, kept her with a measure of hope until finally a helicopter did come and rescued her after a week and a half. And she said that the thing that kept her going was that hope that someday that helicopter would just appear in the sky and all of her struggle would be over. That's what kept her motivated. You know, for some of us, our suffering might be so acute and so difficult right now that that is the only thing that can give us hope is the sense that maybe today. Christ might return and this decaying, hurting, diseased body will be immediately swallowed up in this glorified, eternal, perfect body. And I'll live with Christ forever and ever in a new heaven and new earth. That can give us a measure of hope and a measure of joy to face death as Paul did. But there's one final secret I think Paul knew and that we need to learn and practice, and that is. We need to set our sights on spiritual reunion with Christ, not only setting our sights on spiritual realities instead of the physical realities, not just setting our sights on the second coming, but ultimately setting our sights on spiritual reunion with Christ. Look at what Paul says in verses six through eight of chapter five. He says, so we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. You know, as much as Paul wanted to experience that that transformation and, and being clothed in his glorified body before he died, he also ends up saying, you know what? But, but, but in spite of it all. Being spiritually reunited with Christ is still better than the best that this earthly life can offer. Even if I have to spend a little time in that disembodied spirit in the presence of God, that is still far greater because then I'm at home with the Lord. And as long as I'm in this body, I'm separated from the Lord and I'm not with him and experiencing the intimacy that I could be experiencing with him. You know, there's several years ago, I was at a Baptist General Conference annual meeting. And at that annual meeting, uh, 
one of our pastors, a 40-year-old pastor named Kevin Crass, who I knew, uh, had been diagnosed with cancer. And he literally had tumors that were growing and just literally eating up his body. He had months to live. In fact, they said at the time, uh, just a few months at the very most. And he chose to go before the entire conference and to spend an hour preaching and sharing about how incredibly excited and joyful and hopeful he was. That he knew that he was just months away from being reunited with Christ and entering into his presence and experiencing all the glory that his suffering was storing up for him in heaven. And as he spoke, it was absolutely mesmerizing. There were a thousand people just on the edge of their seats as Kevin Crass, a guy dying literally before our eyes, shared about the joy and the hope and the confidence that he had in Christ. He told a story about before his last surgery, when he was in the hospital, how he shared his eternal hope. And three nurses came to Christ that week as a result of witnessing his suffering and yet hearing him be joyful and confident and hopeful and wondering, how can a guy in this condition be so absolutely confident and joyful that he's going to see Christ and he's going to heaven and all this stuff? They couldn't make sense of it apart from he knew something that they didn't. On his final visit to the hospital, he shared his hope and his joy in Christ with another nurse by the name of Monica. And after Monica sat there for a half hour listening to Kevin Crass, literally weeks before he died, she ran out of the room and found another nurse who was, she knew was a Christian and said, what is going on here? What is it with this guy? He's dying. He can hardly breathe. And he just talked to me for a half hour about his hope and his joy. What's going on? And ultimately, that nurse led Monica to Christ as a result. You know, here was a guy who was dying, who was suffering, who was experiencing all kinds of pain. And yet, in spite of it all, at 40 years old, he was sharing about his joy and his hope in Christ, facing death with courage and confidence, because to him, it wasn't a pipe dream. It wasn't a fairy tale. It wasn't just some nebulous spiritual kind of thing out there. For him, it was real. He was focused on seeing Christ and being reunited with him. And he knew for him, it was just weeks away that he would cross that threshold. And that all the suffering would be worth it and forgotten. And that he would finally be experiencing ultimate reality, ultimate joy and peace with Christ. You see, I think like Paul, we need to learn these secrets and begin to practice them. And it's not an easy thing to do in this life that is so focused on the material and consumption and the pleasures of life. In fact, People don't even want to talk about death. They don't want to even hear a sermon series on death, which I think is a very sad indictment on us as Christians who say we believe all this stuff. But do we really? Because I'm convinced if we really did and if we focused on spiritual realities rather than just physical realities, if we really did believe that the second coming of Christ could happen any moment, and if we really were looking forward to spiritual reunion with Christ, knowing that we could just be in his presence, I think it would give us a completely different perspective on life 
and on death. Let me just share one action step, one action step this week. And that is every time you experience some kind of suffering or maybe it's an ache or a pain, maybe it's unfair treatment at work or discomfort, maybe it's emotional stress or struggle. Every time you experience that this week, consciously think to yourself that this suffering, this pain, this ache is storing up for me eternal glory in heaven that will far outweigh this present experience. Almost like you're making a deposit in your eternal account with every ache, every pain, every moment of suffering. You're making a deposit in that eternal account that one day you're going to cash in and you're going to experience a glory and a joy that just so far outweighs any of the suffering that you've experienced here on earth. And as you focus on that, let God give you hope through that. To recognize that this is a journey we're on, but this is not the ultimate destination. This is just the journey. And the ultimate destination is when we are with him in his presence. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would enable us to be people who do find courage in the hope of death. Father, help us not to approach it as those who do not have any hope. But Father, I pray Though it's a reality, though it's painful, though we grieve for those who pass, that, Father, we can have a hope that transcends the physical pain and the physical realities, knowing that it's the things that we cannot see that are real. Father, help us yearn for reunion with you. Help us to look for your second coming. Father, give us a hope and a joy and a confidence that is not human, that can only come from you and that others will, will notice is different. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.